Welcome to the wall here at SDSA. If this is your first time here, uh, welcome. If this is your first time in a long time, welcome back. Uh, either way, we are happy to have you. Uh, my name is Peter, for those of you that don't know me. Uh, and an interesting fact about myself is that I can't take anybody seriously when they are wearing oven mitts. It's not really that interesting or it's not really that special, but it is great marriage advice. Uh, for those of you who are, are married or about to get married, uh, I find that if you put on oven mitts where you're on the verge of fighting with your spouse, your significant other, it really de-escalates the situation fairly quickly. Um, so it's a good practice to try. And, and it doesn't work if you're like full-blown heated argument. That needs fasting and prayer. And actually, if you use oven mitts then, it could be used as weapons. So it's, there's the sweet spot of when you start joking, and then it kind of turns into sarcasm. And right before you escalate there, put on the oven mitts, it'll diffuse it. So try that. <laughs> this has absolutely nothing to do with what I'm going to talk about today. But it might be the most useful thing I leave with you. <laughs> All right. Um, so this week, we are in our fourth and final installment in the series On Trend. And... Uh, um, we're going to be talking about this, this trend or this fad of zero waste, which is really a, a, a response to um, an excess of, of how much we as humans and society take in. Um, and it's more of an extreme view, but it's really a focus on sustainability and low waste. So before I get into the definition, uh, I wanted to kind of describe zero waste in a couple of stories, because why not? So a couple weeks ago, Father Timothy, in one of his gospel sermons, talked about a nightmare that had come true for him. The nightmare was when his wife, Sherry, introduced the words organic produce into their vocabulary. That is devastating. It is a nightmare because you're thinking of dollar signs, right? And this is really expensive. You throw in organic and you're like, is this a hoax? Why are we paying this markup? And that's bad. But then there's the graduation to the next step. Once you move away from organic produce, and what I like to call organic cleaning supplies, that's when it's cruel and unusual punishment. So that's where my wife Katie is. She is relentless, she's sweet, she's persistent, but she, uh, she started putting this, this concept and introduced this concept of zero waste in our lives, and really not even introduced, she kind of forced it onto us. Um, <laughs> And, and it was a practice that it seemed you know, pretty reasonable, but a couple of stories. So she, she uh, sent me to Target to get a, a, these organic cleaning supplies, right? And she's like, get this, here's the list, and I'm getting the seventh generation this, seventh generation that, these, these organic lotions and potions and, and, and wipes that are like 100% water with grapefruit citrus. And I'm, you know, getting all these things. I'm, I, I go to the conveyor belt, and, and I'm checking out. And then the cashier looks at all these cleaning supplies. And he's like, you know, I really want to pick your brain. Seems like you've done a lot of research. I want to start shifting into using these type of, these type of supplies and these cleaning, these cleaning materials because I feel like it's just better. It's better for us. So I'd love to hear some of your thoughts. And there wasn't anybody behind me. So I look at him. I'm like, I don't want to do this. He was waiting for this, like, this, this dissertation, this thesis, something really thought out about, like, look at this guy, look at what he's doing. I, I, I almost, like, thought I was on the Titanic where it's women and children, save yourself. 
I wanted to grab him by the collar. I'm like, no, don't do this to yourself. You don't need to. The Lysol over there is 259, and it has 10 more ounces. Like, this is really expensive. Um, but the thinking was, my wife Katie said, well, we already have water at home. We have vinegar. We buy citrus fruit. So why not use what we already have that we cook with or that we, we use for food and try to make our own cleaning supply? We'll try this, and if it works, great. If it doesn't, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll see. So I wanted to get the oven mitts ready to go, and I'm like, this is reasonable. It, it's, it, there's nothing to argue with. The other time, I was, I was attempting to do laundry, and I'm not good with laundry, because I don't, I don't know if it's a medium load versus a large load, and it's like, do you put the cold water or the hot water? I don't know, it's complicated for me. I, I go through a lot of thoughts. But I, I open up the, the, um, the washing machine, and I see these nuts. So I'm thinking like a squirrel is living in a washing machine. So I'm like, Katie, Katie, what is going on? There's nuts in the washing machine. What happened? Why are there? And she's like, oh, no, 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 that's the soap. Like, the soap? How do you get soap from nuts? I eat nuts. I love nuts. I have peanuts. I have walnuts. I have hazelnuts. They don't taste like soap. So where are you getting this from? So I'm Googling it. It's beyond me. I don't understand. But she's like, look, this is natural. It already has a soap residue. Let's just try and see if it works. Okay, so that's zero waste. And zero waste is a focus really on waste prevention and product reuse, focus on sustainability. So it's a great idea, um, and really this came about uh, by an issue. You know, people, people think that, and it's not meant to be political or anything. I mean, this really has nothing to do with politics whatsoever, but there's an environmental scientist that said there is a growth a trajectory and growth in population where by 2050, our, our uh, world population will increase by about 2 billion people. So that's in a generation. It'll go to about 9 billion people. So we don't really have enough resources to sustain a planet for 9 billion people. Okay. So then you look at kind of the next thing, and it's like, well, then there's the opposite side of, of, of the coin, which is waste. We're kind of consuming all of these things but then what do you do with the waste? And in America, 80% of what we take in ends up going into landfills or incinerators. So we have this issue of overconsumption, and now we have this issue of waste because our desire for things is insatiable. We always want the latest, we want the greatest, we want the newest. And then last week, um, as Steve mentioned, there's this dissatisfaction with the status quo that what we have is something that we always look for and what we want, but when we get it, it becomes a source of dissatisfaction because we're not happy with it, because we're always trying to move on to the next thing. So it's this dissatisfaction. And the crazy thing is, 100 years ago, the amount of people that were living on this planet was less than 2 billion people. That was just 100 years ago. I know people who live in DC right now who have homes they're about 100 years old. So we live in a me-first culture. Our desire for stuff is, is, is always there. And then there's this challenge of ignorance. So we try to figure out, well, what's the right thing? We're bombarded with so many competing agendas. People are trying to tell us how to think, how best to be informed, 
How do we respond? How are you supposed to live our lives? And when it comes to the environment and when it comes to sustainability, when it comes to waste, I find that there are really two extreme views. The first extreme view is consumerism. So consumerism ready to exploit the world and all of its resources. That you're going away that glorifies yourself as best as possible. And it's very focused on the me. It's focused on the now. And it's not really Christ-like. It's not a way that Christ intended us to live. When we look at creation or things that we've been given and we look at it from the view of this is supposed to make me happy and to glorify myself. The world leads us into believing that everything is about the moment. And it's one, one big lie. So I want to read a, a quote to you all from our uh, church father and theologian, Usher. Some lyrics, some lyrics for you. You guys probably heard the song. He says, because baby tonight, the DJ got us fallen in love again. So dance, dance, like it's the last night of your life. There's no tomorrow. There's just right now, 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 now. And lyric. Everyone, just one favor, one favor of you. If this is your last day on this earth, don't go to the club. <laughs> don't go to the club, please. But you see, it's all about now, 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 now. Me, 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 me. And what did, what did Father Timothy say in the, in the talk of fasting? He said, excess leads to idolatry. Excess leads to idolatry. Not because we are turning the things into idols, but because we look at these things to glorify ourselves. The next extreme view is this, this word pantheism. And, and this is a worldview that, that basically says the universe is God. That God is the universe and the universe is God. That God equals all the forces, all the materials, all the laws, all the substances, and that the earth is God, the universe is God. Well, this is terrible too, right? Because it denies who God is. It turns the creation not the case, obviously. So what is it? Is it consumerism? Is it a world that we can take advantage of? Or is it a world that should be free of humans or should be saved from us? And a Christian view that I find that is the best when it comes to the earth, when it comes to the environment, when it comes to waste, is this word stewardship. Stewardship is really an old school world of someone else. A steward is someone that a steward would run the day-to-day -day operations. And when the king came back, he would give the steward would give an accounting for every decision that he made. The steward handled the affairs of the king, and even when the king was present, the steward was the one who made the day-to-day -day decisions. But the important thing to understand is that a steward did not own the kingdom. A steward did not own the possessions. It was an administrator over someone else's property. And in this non-extreme view, the world is a gift that is entrusted with our care. And here's a quote from a, a, a person. He's a Romanian Orthodox priest, was a Romanian Orthodox priest. Uh, not only a gift, but a task for man. I like gifts. Most of us like gifts. 
But as a father, and I know this sounds cliche, it really is with the box and doesn't even really care about the gift. But her eyes get like bugged out. She's, she's in, in, in amazement and wonder. And she, she, she gets so happy. And then I was thinking, well, the world is a gift. So imagine, imagine if I give you a gift. Imagine if I, I give you a sweater. And you think this is the greatest sweater in the world, and you want to hide the sweater. You never want to use the sweater. Or whatever gift. Insert whatever gift. You tuck it away. You don't want people to see it because you're, you're afraid they might snag it. Or you don't want it to shrink. You don't want it to rip. You never wear it. And you just think this is the most valuable thing in the world. I'm never going to use this gift. Never. I'm just going to keep it here. And if someone even looks at it, I'm going to fight them. That's pretty terrible. You got the gift for you to use. But at the same time, if you get someone a gift, imagine they were like, oh, that's a great sweater. And they start like cleaning the counters with it. Or they don't care about it. They, they destroy it. That would be pretty awful too. The gift is there to use. But the theme is use it, don't abuse it. So there, uh, there are many examples of stewardship in the Bible. Joseph. Joseph was the most important person in the land of Egypt behind Pharaoh. You got Abraham's head servant. This guy was responsible for the other servants. He was responsible for Abraham's livestock, uh, for his land, for his possessions. And even this, this guy traveled hundreds of miles to get a, a wife for Abraham's son, Isaac. Talk about a wingman. Again, another piece of relationship advice for you guys. Get yourself a wingman that will travel hundreds of miles to find you a lady. Relationship advice number two. Maybe that's what this talk should be. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, Moses, Joshua, they were entrusted with the people of Israel to get them to the promised land. But you know what the first example of stewardship is in the Bible? It's us. It's us. Genesis 2.15 says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden. To the reason why they're italicized is because it's not really the best translation. English isn't always the best in terms of capturing really the intent behind the message. So if you look at Hebrew, more literally it means serve. The Hebrew word for keep is shamar, which means to preserve or exercise care over or to guard. So really, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to serve it and to preserve it or to guard it or to exercise care over it. The same word abad is used in numbers to describe the role of the priests of Israel and their responsibility in, in guarding the sanctuary of God. Caring for God's creation is a priestly duty. It's the same word. This was the trend of zero waste before this fad ever came about. It was always rooted in orthodoxy and this idea of stewardship and that we don't own anything, that God gave us everything, that it's really God's. And one of the most annoying things that I find frustrating is when my kid takes something and says, mine, mine, no, mine, mine. it's not yours. That's not yours at all. Why do you think that's yours? You didn't 
buy it? You didn't do it. Actually, you did nothing to get this. And you say mine, 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 mine. Like, isn't that one of the most frustrating things? Especially people who deal with kids a lot. You're like, no. Like, reality check. And a lot of times, we all do the same thing. Mine, mine, mine. It's not yours. We're stewards of someone else's possessions. The Bible mentions the literal word waste a couple times. Not too often. Um, Obviously, there are variations of it. But uh, once St. Paul, he he and Galatians, Galatians says to the people of Galatia, I, I'm afraid I might be wasting my time on you. He's St. Paul. He can say whatever he wants. No judgment. He was probably being sarcastic. Um, and then there's uh, the, the lady who broke the perfume and put it on Jesus' head. Uh, and that was in, in two different accounts. And the disciples said, like, what are you doing, lady? That's a lot of money that could have been sold and given to uh, the poor. You know, we, we know how that ends. Uh, and then there's, there's this. There's, and we heard, we heard another, another uh, account in Luke during the, the gospel, uh, during the liturgy. But it says, when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather. The Bible doesn't say what's done with the leftovers. But it's very clear Jesus said, let nothing be wasted. He just fell basketful. So I got thinking. How many disciples are there? Twelve. And this is something I'm totally making up, by the way. Like, I, this is my meditation. It's not like a church. I don't know what they did with the leftovers. But you got, you got 12 basketfuls, and you got 12 disciples. Something smells a little bit fishy here. Pun intended. We are the church, the disciples, the apostles, us. We are a continuation of Christ's work. We manage God's resources, not our own. The miracles, the resources, the things that God creates, he gives us to manage, to do good with. And a lot of times, I tend to look at the the basket full, and I separate that from the basket filler, because it's so easy to do. You look at the resources and you think, well, oh, it's, it's really clear, I have this, I'm supposed to do something with it. But you really forget who filled the basket in the first place. Next point is claiming ownership dehumanizes us. In uh, the Screwtape Letters, if you guys have ever read that book, it's by C.S. Lewis. He, uh, demons who coach, uh, demons who are lower on the, on the totem pole in terms of spiritual warfare, and they're assigned to, to humans to try to get them to stray. And the, the younger demons kind of report back because they're all assigned a specific human. And they report back to the elder demon uh, on what they've accomplished or how they've made humanity fall and the person they were assigned with. And this is from the point of view of, of the demon, C.S. Lewis says, humans are always putting up claims to ownership, which sound equally funny in heaven and in hell, and we must keep them doing so. The joke is that the word mine, in its fully possessive sense, cannot be uttered by a human being about anything. Even the demons know that. 
the word mine in its fully possessive sense cannot be uttered by a human being about anything. It's like humans are all, it, it, it's almost as if these demons are at the water cooler. Maybe not water cooler, they're somewhere. And they are like, you know, talking, and it's like the joke. Like this is the joke that humans think they actually own stuff. It's the joke around town, right? I like taking baths. I used to take a lot more baths. I don't take as many as, uh, as I used to, but I love it. You, you, you fill up the water, you kind of sit in, you do nothing, you self-reflect. It's fantastic. You get a nice cold can of sparkling water, and you just sit there for hours. And I was thinking. I was like, oh, I'm in the bath. I don't know what the temperature is, maybe 85, 90 degrees, whatever. But the house is like 70 degrees. I'm like, you know, if I sit here long enough, Peter, this water is going to be 70 degrees. I know, these are really deep thoughts, right? This is really like, I'm blowing you guys away with my deep thoughts. I'm like, what if I sit here? The, I was thinking, the ecosystem, it's because the ecosystem, like the house, my house, this ecosystem, the ecosystem that we cultivate dominates. The ecosystem that we cultivate dominates. Not because 70 degrees is more powerful than 90 degrees. Are you guys following me? Yeah, not because 70 degrees is more powerful than 90 degrees, but it's because the house is 70 degrees. So over time, the water is going to cool down. The house is warm. I mean, you know, you guys are smart people. So I'm thinking, okay, well, what kind of ecosystem did Christ cultivate when it comes to this idea? And it's in the preceding verse. I know this is out of order because we just talked about John 6, 12, and now we're at John 6, 11. The strange thing is Christ says, or they're observing, I say, and Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed What's strange? What, what did Jesus do that was so strange? He gave thanks. You're Jesus Christ. Why? You walk on water. You control weather. You pretty much have all of the X-Men superpowers in one. And yet you are giving thanks. Why? You don't need to give thanks. Christ does not need to give thanks. But he's teaching us. You think that is what being human is about? Giving thanks. Giving thanks for what we don't necessarily have. He just doesn't tell us. He shows us. We are dependent upon God. We are not self-sufficient beings. And we were never meant to be self-sufficient. So being thankful is the first step to a sustainable life. And waste really is a response to abundance. Waste is the effect to a cause. When we attend service, in the liturgy, we always start off with the prayer of thanksgiving. We start off with the prayer of thanksgiving, but in the liturgy, how do we end? How do we end the liturgy? Thanksgiving. The word Eucharist means thanksgiving. We start with thanksgiving, and we end with thanksgiving. It's because thanksgiving is a sacrificial word. Giving thanks is a sacrifice. The Eucharist is a sacrifice. Giving thanks is a sacrifice. Because the moment we think of ourselves less, 
and we think of other people more, that is about as sacrificial as you could ever get. When we think of other people's needs or we think of other things and we don't use things to glorify ourselves, it eliminates pride and takes us away from idolatry. There was a, an article that had a list of all these things that needed to happen for life to exist on this world. Bunch of things, and the conclusion was, aren't we lucky? Like, random, aren't we lucky that all of these things had to happen? We're not lucky. The fact that we can breathe in and out is astronomical, literally. 75% of the world is water. That's the right amount so that lands can have enough moisture to produce vegetation. If our earth was a degree farther from the sun, we'd freeze to death. If our earth was a degree closer to the sun, we'd burn to death. Jupiter isn't just a pretty face. Jupiter is a shield for the earth. If we didn't have Jupiter, we'd experience 10,000 times more asteroids and comet strikes. Jupiter's pretty big, so kind of it blocks stuff. The world is a pretty thoughtful gift. It's a pretty thoughtful gift by a really thoughtful God. Look at what St. Paul says. He says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, so that people are without excuse. God says, I made everything for my glory. Everything was made for my glory. Isaiah says, let those who call me by name, call me God, for I have made them for my glory. Reflect on this series. I look at fasting, minimalism, mindfulness, and it all kind of seems like there are these movements to really fill whole in our lives. Like this, uh, this gap. And they're good. They're good things. But I think the question we have to ask ourselves is why? Like, why do we do the things that we do? There's a, a, a theologian, his name was Karl Barth. He said, so the word anthropology really is not a term. Sorry for anybody that studied anthropology, but he says it's not, a, it's not really a, it's not a, it shouldn't be in the vocabulary. Because anthropology is a study of man. He said, really, the term should be the-anthropology, which is the study of God-man. Because humans will never fully be understood apart from their creator, God. And just to contextualize that a little bit more, imagine you were on the beach, and you saw a baseball bat floating in the ocean, and you had nothing, you had no idea, like, you just came from another, maybe you came from Jupiter, and you're just here on the beach, and you just see a random baseball bat floating. Would you ever, if you had no idea behind the, the game of, of baseball, would you ever know what that baseball bat was for? Would you ever concoct this elaborate story, well, it actually needs a baseball, and you have people on a field, and then you have someone that pitches, and there's someone that bats, and you try to hit as many home runs as possible. And when it, you know, it, it goes out, and then people who are supposed to be in, in, in the stadium, they're cheering. 
and then you, you tally up these points, and they're nine innings. You would never know that just by seeing a baseball bat if you had no idea who created the game. That baseball bat would never, would never be used to its full potential if you didn't talk to the creator of the baseball bat. And that's the same way with God. We can't be used to our full potential if we don't know what the creator had in store for us. So I didn't want to include this, but I'm going to. Why not? Because I just wanted to make sure we answered the question with this verse. Because, I mean, it's clear. You might say, well, wait a minute, Peter. In Genesis 1.28, it says, Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. I mean, it says dominion. Does that seem like we should be thankful? Or does that mean like we should be entitled? I mean, the word is right there. So in here, it's, it's like a, it, it describes kind of the royal ruling of a king. The same word is used in Psalm 72. Describe God. It says, he shall have dominion, God. God shall have dominion or rada, also from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. Those who dwell in the wilderness will bow before him, and his enemies will lick the dust. The kings of Tarshish and of the isles will bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba will offer gifts. Yes, all kings shall fall down before him. All nations shall serve him. For he will deliver the needy when he cries, the poor also, and him who has no helper. He will spare the poor and needy and will save the souls of the needy. He will redeem their life from oppression and violence, and precious shall be their blood in his sight. What kind of ruler is God? What kind of dominion does God exercise? For he will deliver the needy when he cries, the poor also, and him who has no helper. Same word is used in Ezekiel. God's upset because the kings are like in, a, in, a, in essentially a tirade with these corrupt kings. He says, the weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed. Those who are sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost. But with force and cruelty you have ruled or rotted them. We see how God treats humanity, how he treats us. We're the pinnacle of his creation. That's the dominion. So how are we supposed to, when it goes back to Genesis 1.28, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. How are we supposed to have dominion over what God has created and what God has entrusted us with? I'm not saying don't eat meat. I'm not saying, like, like it has nothing to do with anything. This has nothing to do with the, the environment or global war, or, it, like, are humans the cause of, like, increased heat and the greenhouse gas? Like, no, it has nothing to do with that. Absolutely nothing. This is our responsibility as stewards. The whole point is that we shouldn't think that we own, that these are not our possessions. We shouldn't live in a, in, in, in a, in a way that edifies ourselves. So this fad is great. Sure, zero waste. Yeah, might seem unreasonable. 
But the goal is not just to make sure you don't get things into landfills or incinerators. That's not really the goal. The goal is to make sure that us as Christians, we understand that we have a God who should be glorified, and everything that he has given to us is his, and that we should be thankful for, and that thankfulness will help us lead to a sustainable life. We're stewards of his creation. All right, that's it. I'm not going to get into this. This is uh, just some key quotes that uh, I thought were really awesome when we pray, um, but I just thought it was, it, was, it was really nice. So we could just stand up and pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much, Lord, for the blessings that you've given us, Lord. I ask, Lord, that we come before you truly, Lord, as stewards, stewards of, of your possessions and your things. Lord, you are the creator, you're the master, you're the king. Lord, you rule with humility. Lord, you rule to give the needy better things, Lord. Lord, we are your church, Lord. We are your church. We are an extension of your church. We are people who should look at your resources and the things that you've given us, Lord, and accept them humbly and, and, and maim. Please bless this church. Bless our priests. Bless this congregation. And the Lord, hear us as we say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but lure us from the evil. Christ is our Lord. Tonight is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.